Well, as you may know, today is Palm Sunday, but I want uh, on this one occasion to turn our thoughts to another theme as we are in the middle of a very serious pandemic across the world. And I want to speak particularly on Psalm 46. I'm going to read the psalm to you now. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. (coughs) The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Just a word of prayer now. Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, this Psalm 46 is a psalm of great comfort to Christians, of great comfort to true believers and indeed to the Church of God. Psalms 46 to 48 share a common theme there are about the city of God. In verse 4 of this psalm we have this phrase, the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And the psalmist is celebrating, he's rejoicing in the fact that God is in the midst of his people. And he is doing this in the Old Testament era, at the time when the church of the Lord was particularly centred upon Israel and upon uh, Jerusalem and the tabernacle, the temple of Jerusalem. But throughout the centuries, this psalm has been a psalm of great comfort to Christian people. In the year 410 AD, the Goths and the Visigoths and the other pagan nations around the Roman Empire eventually came in and sacked the city of Rome. It was a tremendous upheaval in society. And the great church father, Augustine, wrote a treatise called The City of God. And in this treatise, he demonstrated from the Bible and from history that we must not confuse the church of Jesus Christ with a particular civilization that we may belong to. The city of God always remains. The city of God cannot be destroyed, whatever is happening around us. And then we come forward to the time of the Reformation in the 16th century, and Martin Luther, the great hero of the Reformation, when things were getting very difficult for him, the persecution and the opposition 
he would sometimes say to his close friend Philip Melanchthon, Come, let us sing the 46th Psalm, and then let the devil do his worst. And it was Luther that penned that wonderful hymn, A safe stronghold our God is still, a trusty shield and weapon, he'll help us clear from all the ill that hath us now o'ertaken. So dear believer in Christ who may be listening to this sermon, let us be of good courage, let us take comfort at this time as we remember that God is our refuge and strength. And if you are not yet a true believer, then I implore you to listen to what this Psalm 46 has to say to you. This is a psalm that envisages the worst possible catastrophes that could ever take place. We notice how several terrible eventualities are referred to in this psalm. In verse 2, for example, we have these words, Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the seas. There is a clear reference to earthquakes, the upheaval of this earth, and even of the the seascape as well. And perhaps there's another reference implied here, because this is a psalm, if you see the heading, if you have a Bible and are following it this morning, you will see that this is a psalm for the sons of Korah. Now, if we go back in the Old Testament into the book of Numbers and chapter 16, we see that Korah was one of the Israelites who led a wicked rebellion in the time when Moses was the leader of God's people. And one of the results of this rebellion was that God brought tremendous judgment upon Korah and his family. In Numbers 16 and verse 31 and following, we read these words that it came to pass as that as Moses had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was un- under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods. They and all that app- appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And I draw your attention not just to that terrible judgment upon Korah, but to the reactions of those around Korah, the fear as God's judgment was executed against Korah. And in these words, we will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. We are reminded that those who know God and are trusting in God and trusting in Jesus Christ, God's Son, need not fear, even though there are tremendous catastrophes and upheavals in the world. The whole idea of an earthquake may be referred more widely to any kind of earthquake, not just earthquakes of the earth's crust, but when the whole foundation of society is disrupted. We think of all the things that this present pandemic are affecting, all the institutions and the certainties of life 
so many things ranging from health to employment to the uh, strength and longevity of businesses and institutions. All these things are now threatened. But God's people need not fear, though the earth be removed. And then in verse 3, there's a reference here surely to tsunamis. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Terrible catastrophes. And yet God's people, even though they cannot escape the terrible works of God in the earth as he moves in a fallen world in this devastating way, the people of God are safe amidst the catastrophes. Uh, That is to say that they are safe in their souls. They are safe in the arms of Jesus. Whatever happens to our bodies, whatever happens in our health even, uh, God is our hope and our refuge and our strength. And we need not fear because Jesus knows best. The whole idea too of waters in the scripture can sometimes stand for people's. In Psalm 65 and verse 7, we we read of God stilling the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. And it is a metaphor sometimes used in Scripture for people in disturbance, for great masses of people disturbed, confused, angry, and in turmoil. And yet God is... Over all these things, God is a refuge and strength. Surely this is a time of public turmoil, at least inwardly, a time of great disturbance, and yet God is our refuge and strength. And then we come to verse 6, where it says, The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. Now, this is a reference to anti-God and anti-Christian forces and how amidst these things, God only has to utter his voice. God only has to work his terrible works in the earth and it silences the raging of the heathen. It is remarkable, is it not, that we are not hearing too much from the militant atheists at this time. They have nothing to say of hope, of comfort, of truth even. Uh, They have been silenced by what God is doing through this raging pestilence that we're facing. The reference I have just quoted from Psalm 46 is taken up actually in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4. And verses 25 and following, it says this, uh, the Christians have been under persecution from the Jewish authorities at the beginning of the early church. And the Christians are now praying to God and they say, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. 
for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And that prayer continues, and God answers it in a mighty way. As anti-Christian voices gather together, as the people rage, as the kingdoms are moved, as secular forces and religious forces unite against Christians, God is a refuge and strength. You know, coronavirus is not the only terrible thing in the world today. There's tremendous persecution of believers. And perhaps this morning you are a persecuted Christian listening to this. Well, remember this, the Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, this particular psalm doesn't mention uh, pestilence or plague or uh, disease particularly, but clearly it takes in that kind of catastrophe into its teaching. Let me refer you, please, to Psalm 91, where we do have definite reference to a time of widespread disease. And in this psalm, We read, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Notice that phrase, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. And then, A bit later, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. And then in verse 10, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Now the psalmist is not only thinking of plagues of the body, he is above all thinking of plagues of the soul. Of course, he is not saying that being a Christian, being a believer in Yahweh, immediately insulates you and immunizes you from all disease. But what he is saying is that ultimately you are safe. You are under the shadow of the Almighty. God is your great protector. So whether it's Psalm 91 or Psalm 46, here is a psalm for every threatening situation, and especially for the worst. So what does it tell us? Whatever our background, whether Christian or non-Christian, whether we're in the midst of a catastrophe or not, what does it tell us to do? What is its great message? Well, surely the message is this. It's found several times in this psalm, reiterated. The message is this, to consider God. Consider God. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Come, that's an arresting word. Behold, look, here is something you should consider. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Think of him. 
Here's the great factor that so many people forget about. Here's the great being who so many ignore. The immortal, invisible, almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. I say to you this morning, have you forgotten this God? Are you living as though he's not there? But he is there. And one of the reasons why in his sovereign purposes he sends pestilences and plagues without in any sense being the author of sin or one who delights in sin or delights in pain without in any sense being like that. Yet he uses these things to remind us of what we need to know if we are to go at the last into heaven, if we're to go at the last into the safety and security of the presence and delight of God. Have you forgotten him? In his book, The Problem of Pain, written in the middle of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And he goes on to say this, that pain can be a terrible instrument in the hand of God when it leads to a final and unrepented rebellion in the person who experiences it. It doesn't inevitably lead to repentance. It doesn't inevitably lead to considering and beholding the works of God, in which case it is, it is a, a terrible instrument. It is an awesome instrument in the hand of a holy God. But Lewis goes on to say that it gives us a tremendous opportunity to change, to consider. It sweeps away so many illusions. And here in this psalm, any illusion we may have as to what our real prosperity of soul lies in, any illusion we may have as to what will really bless us and really stay with us into eternity is swept away as we are brought to consider God and we're brought to consider what kind of a God he is. Let me move on quickly now to the final section of what I want to see. What kind of a God does this psalm present us with? Well, firstly, we notice repeated three times, God is our refuge. In verse 1, in verse 7, in verse 11, it begins the psalm, it ends the psalm, it bookends the psalm. The God of Jacob is our refuge. God is a shelter for all those who will put their trust in him. And this brings us right into the very heart of the Christian gospel, into the very heart of what God has done for this world. God so loved a rebellious world that he gave that ultimate gift, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who came into this world to save sinners. And when the Lord Jesus Christ lived in this world 2,000 years ago, he lived a perfect and holy and sinless life, a life of spotless perfection, of tender kindness, of holy goodness. And having lived out that life, 
he was crucified for us. He went to the cross for us. There he was nailed to the cross by his enemies. But this was in the purpose of God, because through that death, he makes available to us his spotless righteousness to cover and to blot out all our sins. And we can enter into that so simply by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. We turn from our sin in repentance and horror at our sinful natures and our sins. And we're covered with the righteousness of Christ. Next Sunday, we shall be considering, of course, the resurrection of Christ, Easter Day. And that resurrection was a sign that God had accepted the sacrifice. And now Jesus Christ is a refuge. God is a refuge for his people, a refuge from his wrath against sin, a refuge from the awful nature of death for those who die in their sins and must go into eternal punishment. A refuge even in this life, even amidst pestilences and earthquakes and persecution, he becomes a friend to his people. He becomes, as the other part of verse 1 says, a very present help. And in these words we are reminded not only of the transcendence of God, but of his imminence. God comes close to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes that friend who sticks closer than a brother. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, comes to indwell his people. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. You might be feeling very lonely, alone in your home at this time of quarantine and social isolation. But for the people of God, for those whose trust is in Christ and Christ alone, God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never cast you out. I am that friend who sticks closer than a brother, a very present help in trouble. In fact, it's even closer than that, because as it says in verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Right deep, deep down in your soul, in your spirit, is the very presence of God if you are one of his children. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 7, Jesus is recorded as saying these words on the great day of the Feast of the Tabernacle. He says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his inmost being, shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But our Lord Jesus Christ is now glorified. He has ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. And he pours forth the Holy Spirit from the plenitude of his being. He pours him forth right deep into the soul and into the spirit of his people. So God is in the midst of his city, the city of God. God is in the midst of his church. 
God is in the very heart of his people. Right there. And this leads us to something else to say about God. Uh, Verse 5. He is a timely help. God shall help her. And that right early. If you are following with a more detailed Bible, you may have what's called a margin in your Bible where alternative translations are given. And the alternative translation from the Hebrew for that phrase and that right early is when the morning appeareth. And here surely we have another reference to Old Testament history. If this this translation is the more accurate, if it is, then it takes us right back to the exodus from Egypt under Moses, when Moses and the Israelites were pursued by Pharaoh and his armies, and they came to the Red Sea, and God parted the Red Sea before the Israelites. The Israelites went over on dry land, and the Egyptians tried to follow them. Uh, they tried to follow them on their chariots, and they tried to, to, to rush after the Israelites with their horses and their chariots. And they got right into the middle of the Red Sea. When the Lord said to Moses, this is Exodus 14, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host. God drowned those enemies of his people. And it happened when the morning appeareth at just the right time. The the help was timely. It wasn't immediately the Israelites were frightened. It wasn't at the beginning of this particular event. It was towards the end of it. But God stepped in at just the right time. He is wise. He knows when to bring his help to bear. And surely we can trust him in the present distress that God knows what he is doing through this pandemic and through every other catastrophe and every other test and trial for us. He works all things together for good to those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And then we see in verse 6, his powerful voice. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. Where does God speak? Now God, of course, speaks in nature. He speaks through the sound of the wind, through the sound of the breeze, through the singing of the birds, through volcanoes through thunder of course God speaks so to speak in those ways but above all God speaks to us in his word through his gospel and what a powerful voice it is this message of Jesus Christ how it changes things how it alters civilizations how it calms raging persecutors of the church and calms men and women so angry and so violent and so full of anti-God thoughts. We can think of times 
when God has done this in great measure in society. In the 1920s in Northern Ireland, what catastrophe, what bloodshed was averted through the preaching of W.P. Nicholson, of how the incipient uh, Republican rebellion that was going on at that time was how for at least for a time, for many years, it was quenched because so many people had turned to the Lord and the violence, at least for some time, was averted. Why, they even had to build a, a warehouse in the shipyard of Harland and Wolf to house all the stolen uh, tools and instruments that were being returned to that firm by the people who had repented. We think of the American Civil War and how the preaching of the evangelist D.L. Moody and others did so much to help heal that nation, both north and south, uh, after that particular civil war. And there have been times when God has moved whole societies through the preaching of the gospel, healed wounds from war and from poverty and distress. His powerful voice. And then, finally, we see what kind of a God he is in verses 8 and 9 of this psalm. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariots in the fire. This is speaking of the destruction of the weapons of war. Perhaps the phrase that's used by one commentator here is is helpful. He forcibly disarms those who are bent on war. And surely we have seen this, some of us in our own lifetime. Perhaps this is a reflection of my age, but I can remember in 1989 how the Iron Curtain came down, how there was at least for a time the cessation of Cold War hostility between the Soviet Empire and the Western democracies. And there was a peace dividend, so-called. There were places where there were rusting battleships and destroyers, where there were armaments, munitions piled up, no longer needed, rusting tanks, the peace dividend. Of course, that is outwardly the cessation of war. But surely this particular verse is also looking forward to something much deeper, something much more lasting. We read in Isaiah chapter 2 that the day will come when the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and exalted above the hills. This is metaphorical language for the prosperity of the gospel. When everyone will seek the Lord, when they will go to the mountain of the Lord and walk in his paths, and we read in that context that he shall, that is, God shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many, many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. God's gospel will triumph. The message of Jesus Christ will triumph in the earth. And the time will come when Jesus Christ will return and when he will put down all sin 
and all rebellion. And so we have to consider God. As it says in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. What does it mean here, be still? Does it just mean cocoon yourself? No, it doesn't mean that. It's still within the context of war, of upheaval, of catastrophes. What he is saying, what the psalmist is saying is lay down your weapons. Stop rebelling. Stop arguing against God, even against God who uses sufferings and devastation to bring about his will. Be still in your thoughts. Don't criticize God. Be still in your words. Don't speak against him. Be still in your soul as you turn from your sin and as you trust in and rest upon Christ. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And then, as we learnt at the beginning of the psalm, then we will not fear though the earth be removed. It isn't that we won't fear because we shut our eyes to the problems. It isn't that we won't fear because we're putting all our confidence in the activity of government and of institutions. And of course, God has given us government and institutions, hospital and doctors and these things to help us. But God is the great first cause. The second causes are but instruments in his hands. No, we need not fear because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I trust that that is the case for you. And if not, seek this gracious God. Seek indeed this awesome Uh, this overwhelming God. Seek him in Jesus Christ and find grace, mercy and help in your time of need. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have been able to join together on this day around your word. We thank you particularly for this comforting and encouraging word of scripture, Psalm 46. We thank you that you've used it to help and strengthen your people through the ages, and grant that in our own hearts on this day and at this period of time, we might be strengthened in its wonderful words. God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present aid. Oh, that we might feel it, believe it, and know it. And even some listening might know it for the first time. And these things we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.